chapter 19, the famed Leviticus 19. And verse 9 and verse 10. Here we are. Did you want to quote it? Because I know you've memorized this. And when ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field. Thou shalt... Neither shalt thou gather the gleanings of thy harvest. And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard. Neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord your God. Who said it? When ye reap the harvest, verse 9 you have a highlighter or a pen this is a good next line thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field don't glean it all gleaning means to strip it all and the second line of verse 10 don't gather every grape of your vineyard don't reap all your corners don't glean everything. I preach today a king in the corner. Now, Lord, I pray, open up your word. So many things that are pressing against our attention and our mind. I pray, help us to captivate every thought of our mind. And I pray, Lord, that we would receive it with all readiness of mind and of spirit. Speak to the people, Lord, your people. The people you loved, that you died for. You were buried for. You rose again for. Your blood covers the atonement that you gave for us. That you carry the sins of the world. Now speak to the people, Lord. All of us today, together. And everyone speak his name in Jesus' name. Put your Bibles down. Would you just offer one more praise to God in whatever way you feel comfortable? Mom would bring the groceries home, Scott. And we would dig in. And she would say stuff like, I don't remember exactly, but it was paraphrase. Is it a race to see how fast you can eat everything? I've said that same thing, you know, just, can you wait until I put the groceries away? Just to put our text into context. God said to Moses, and the beginning of the, of the chapter, speak to the entire assembly of Israel, Moses, and say to them, he wanted to be quoted, be holy, because I, the Lord, your God, am holy.
in the purview of God. Among the definitions of that holiness. One of which is defined as that honoring father and mother. He said it in Leviticus 19. And then also of observing the Sabbath. And then turning away from false gods of wood and cast metal. All of that constituted holiness. God thought that stealing and lying, verse 11, and deception contributed to an unholy life. He said, don't pervert justice. Here's an interesting line, verse 15. Don't show partiality to the poor or favorism to the rich. God was ordering the conduct of a people who were dealing with generational bondage. For centuries of imprisonment was long enough to remove all memory of freedom. They did not know how to live. And God, through Moses, was giving them the direction for life and for living. It entailed the present and the future. He wanted to re- them to remember where they came from. Anybody remember where you came from? Because in forgetting, they would easily misuse one another. If they forgot where they came from, they would turn vicious, perhaps violent against their brothers. So God instituted laws about compassion and conduct, at least decency. He wanted them to be content with what they had. He even ordered them to allow the land to rest on the seventh year. Six years of working, perhaps, but the seventh had to stop. The the fields had to rest and recover. Leviticus 25, God gave light at the end of the tunnel for all those who were in debt, gross debt. All those failures in business and those who are negligent in finances, who had sold their properties away to pay their debt, and those who went to work for their creditors. God gave them an out. At the end of seven cycles of seven years, the 49th and 50th year, especially the 50th year, the people would let the land rest, but that would be called the year of Jubilee. Trumpets would sound in the year of Jubilee. And all of those indentured servants were set free, and all the land was returned to their original owner. All debts canceled. Everyone had a chance to begin again. He wanted to make sure the people honored one another, cared for one another, loved one another, made provisions for one another, and remembered what it was like to be in prison. It was rest and reconciliation. Remember. Remember Egypt. Remember when the oppressor used you and bound you and prisoned you, kept you against your will. In fact, if you could, if you could boil down the Old Testament into one word, it's remember. Remember when you could not do what you wanted to do because of the fear of the heavy hand that hindered your coming and your going. Remember it when you deal with your brother and your sister. Don't do it to one another. What the heathen did to you. All of it was ingrained in their history. That's why it was easy for Jesus to begin what he spoke in Luke chapter 6. He spoke of loving your enemies and doing good to them that treat you harshly and lending without expectation of return. It's a hard read for us. I would advise you not to read Luke 6. It might make you feel bad about the way you're living. Jesus said, even sinners know how to give when they expect return. What makes you different? Jesus bothers us. 
There's a glaring problem, though. I won't labor here long. How is it that we remember so well what people did to us when God has forgotten what we did to him? How is it that we embrace the infractions against ourselves when God has cast our sin as far as the east is from the west? I say that if the church knew how to really forgive and let go of hurts and grudges and offenses caused by other people, there would be an explosion of freedom. He's interested in life and in living. Be holy as I'm holy, he said, in life, in conduct, in conversation, in demonstration. Work for a while, but give the land a rest. Work for six days if you have, but give the seventh day to me. He's talking about contentment and patience and priorities and what really is important. Don't leave the text here this morning. What the Lord's trying to say to you. Here in Leviticus 19, when you reap the harvest, the Lord said, leave the corners. When you glean the vineyard, when you take from the vineyard, don't glean it all, leave some behind. God is making provision for two groups of people, for the poor, which meant people who were among them, and for the stranger, people who were not with them, but had somehow joined Israel in their journey. I preach today, there's a king in the corner. There's revelation in the thane unused and untouched. I know where I am in the ministry today. David served his own generation by the will of his fathers and fell asleep. I'm serving mine. My generation, which includes all of us here today, everyone who's living, this generation consumes everything. We are consumers of it all. Time, money, energy, fun, conversations. When most people are through, there's nothing left. We are taught to squeeze out of life all you can get. Get all you can get. Whoever has the most wins. When a person asked the multimillionaire, billionaire John D. Rockefeller how much was enough, John, Rock, John D. Rockefeller said, and I quote, one more dollar. That was enough. One more. And then after that, one more. Elon Musk is said to work 12 to 14 hours every day of his life. Bill Gates once said that taking Sundays off is a waste of valuable time. One of our esteemed ladies said, no one ever won the rat race. I say, there are no winners, just consumers. No accomplishments, just takers of the whole. And I say to all of us today, if you consider the corner, there's a wonder there. There are things in your life that need space. Margins are those things which are empty for a reason. But a life without margins is a harried, hard life. It's an empty existence with no joy, no room for thought or inspiration. In the morning when I open up my one-year Bible, I love that Bible. There's place, in fact, the margins are about two inches on either side of that Bible. It's not this one. This one doesn't have any margins, really. But that Bible has large margins. I like it because that's where I learn to write my thoughts in the morning. And I, as I'm reading, I write my thoughts. There's space for me. In the morning when I, I have to maybe get up a little earlier just to take a little time with 
tea or coffee or something to drink and I'm sitting there at the table and I'm, I'm reading and then something arrests my attention and I write in the margins of the top and the margins and then as the years go by I got to get a new Bible because I have nothing left to write. I got to get a new one where the margins are clean so I can write in the margins. Space, something open. But I see many people living life without margins. It's from edge to edge, from border to border. Monday runs into Friday. Saturday is a rush day. Cram as much stuff as we can and then comes Sunday. And those without margins treat Sunday like the last day of a long weekend when in reality it should be the first day of the new week. When the corners are consumed, there's no wonder. There's no awe. There's no space for truth or the unseen. When the corners are stripped bare of their fruit, there is no allowance to give to others because... We use everything we have, all of it, time, energy, finances, entertainment. Netflix and Hulu and cable television and the like and internet service and smartphones and tablets and AMC and fun things and more stuff from Stuff Mart. And because we have so much stuff, people rent by the thousands, maybe the tens of thousands, storage facilities to put more of our stuff, thereby stripping us of whatever monies we have left. Sheds are built just to house more containers and more stuff. Basements are filled. Attics are filled. Spare bedrooms are filled. God told his people, don't go back the second time to pick up the grapes. Leave the corners of the field unharvested. The poor and the stranger might need it. Uh-huh. According to Nielsen ratings, people spend four hours a day watching television, 238 minutes daily. From 2000 to 2019, it's exploded. The average use of internet time, phone and computer combined, people surf the web 17 hours a week. Facebook has 2.4 billion users. Instagram has 1 billion users every month. The ICD did the research and found that people check their Facebook accounts 14 times a day. And most people check it at the last thing. The last thing they do before they go to sleep is to look at their Facebook account. And then they conveniently put their phones right next to their bed in in case someone dings them. The statistics show that even while I've been preaching for this small length of time in a crowd like today, here are the stats. At least 62% of the people in this room have checked their phones already. And half of that number have texted someone while I've been preaching. Pastor Andrew has to collect the phones from the young people and put them on the platform so that he can teach. But we're grown up. We're mature. And the glow on your face is not the glory of God. I know that because if that was the glory of God, you'd have the joy of the Lord. <laughs> oh, You thought I came just to mess around. I came to say a word to your life. You thought I was just here passing time. I didn't, I never stand behind this pulpit without prayer and fasting and knowing I'm going because the Lord has already commissioned me. I don't have time to waste and neither do you. You need the truth. A lie will not save you. Passivity will not help you. It's not going to help me. I'm preaching today that something 
needs to be birthed in our lives, but it comes from the thing unused and unharvested. There's a king in the corner, and here it is. Elimelech, he's a forgotten man. He's a man that thinks money is more important than righteousness. He likes the job more than his inheritance. So when there was a famine in Bethlehem, Judah, he decides to move his family, two young sons and his wife, to a place called Moab, which was the location of the arch enemies of Israel. They're related. In most cases, they hate each other. This is what I know. People end up marrying who they date. Surprise. They marry who they are around, who they court, if that's still a thing. So Elimelech thought, this is a great idea. Let me take my sons into a worldly environment. Never thinking they're going to choose women out of that worldly environment. He's thinking about money. He's thinking, it's too hard here. It's a famine. Let's go somewhere where it's a little easier. And Elimelech moves his boys to Moab, that place of idolatry and immorality. And sure enough, those sons marry two Moabite girls. But Elimelech dies in Moab, and then his sons die there. And now there are three widows. Orpah, no relation to Oprah. Ruth and Naomi. They have nothing. They're all poor. They have no real means to support themselves or make a life. So Naomi looks at her daughters-in-law and says, I'm going back home to Judah. You two stay here. This is your land. She kisses Orpah and Orpah walks away. But Ruth loves Naomi. And Ruth says, no way. I'm not leaving you. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you live, I'm going to live. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people which means I'll learn whatever I need to learn to be like you and follow your custom. So Naomi and Ruth pack whatever they can carry and they travel back to Judah to live among the paltry and the poor. They are subject to a substandard way of life, walking among those who have nothing to spare, living off of the land, the remains of the fields and the vineyards. They pick up the forgotten grapes that were not completely gleaned. They seek their food on a daily basis. They live with the impoverished folk, paupers and perhaps some indigent, but they live. God made it so. God set the rule down centuries before they ever walked into those fields. He said, don't reap the corners, leave the fallen grapes, leave it for the poor and the stranger. Naomi and Ruth fit those descriptions respectively. They are working in the field of a righteous man named Boaz who is obedient to the word of the law of the Lord because he desires to be holy as God is holy. And one day, Boaz happens by. Maybe he's atop a horse or a mule. Who knows? And he sees Ruth and he notices her and he looks at her and he desires her. And all the married men said amen. That was weak. You ought to know what I'm talking about. Can I get a witness over there? Thank you. Dear God in heaven, I was concerned. 
looked at her and desired her. And he wanted to marry her. And he sees her. She's working in the corners of the field. His field. And the reason why she's there and she can be there is because Boaz was obedient. He didn't strip the whole field. He left the corners. He left wheat. He left things fall. He didn't consume everything that was in his field. The reason, the only reason why Naomi even could live is because he was obedient to the law of the Lord spoken by Moses. Leave the corners of the field and don't pick up all the grapes because the poor, the stranger may come by. The only reason why Naomi could have access to life is because Boaz was obedient to the Lord. They're working in the field of a righteous man. He falls in love with the woman. And then he says to the reapers, hey, listen, leave more sheaves for her. Let more fall out of your hand for her. She's surviving in the corners of the field of Boaz. Are you seeing this now? Bo- Boaz is there and Ruth is living off of the obedience of, of Boaz who does not reap the whole crop. His workers deliberately leave things behind. They will not take it all. They leave the corners for the poor and the stranger. They only make one pass in the vineyard, not a second pass, lest they strip all the grapes from the hands of those who come behind. Let me just get to it. He falls in love with this woman. He marries her. They have a baby. His name is Obed. It's not listed in the top 100 names in America. Obed. And Obed grows up and he gets married and he has a son. His name is Jesse. And Jesse has eight sons and the last one's name is David. And David becomes the king of all kings pertaining to Israel. In fact, David leads the nation in prosperity and in purity. David writes the songs of Zion, most of which have been sung and rewritten for almost 3,000 years. David kills Goliath, defeats the enemies of Israel, and prepares for a temple. He buys the land from Aruna, where the first temple was built, the second was rebuilt, and the final temple will be built. David. There is no other man in biblical history linked to Jesus Christ like David. Even blind Bartimaeus, when he cried out to get the attention of the Lord, while everyone was passing out of the city, he said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. What Boaz left behind gave nourishment and life to the great-grandmother of King David. And even though Ruth had no real heritage because she was a Moabite, her heritage was not who came before her. But it was what she would eventually produce after her. Ruth had in her womb the making of a king. And she was kept because Boaz did not consume the corners. Go take a look. There are only four women mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ recorded in Matthew chapter 1. And Ruth the Moabitess is one of them. This God-breathed book could have recognized Sarah or Rebecca or Leah, but the author of all the world and of the Bible paused in verse 5 to call out the wife of Boaz, Ruth, the mother of Obed, and Obed, the father of Jesse. And here's verse 6. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, and Jesse, the father of King David. 
There's a king in that corner if you'll give him room. There's wonder waiting there if you if you won't consume everything. I get my Bible out and I begin to read. I read it because it's better than my necessary food. It because it changes my mind and I know that I'm not going to be conformed because Paul said, "Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind." Here, pastor. When do we have enough time to be transformed by the renewing of our mind? When do we have time to hear from God if we're always listening to something else or always listening to something else or someone or if we're always talking? When do we have time to have a change of mind, a renewing of our spirit? I'm asking you today. When do you have time to experience Philippians chapter 4 verse 8? And finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. And whatsoever things are honest, and whatsoever things are just, and whatsoever things are pure, and whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise. Are you ready? Think. Not talk, not text, not deliberate, not exhort, just think. Proverbs 4.26, ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Literally interpreted, think about where you're going so that you can be established and founded. Mary's one needful thing is being pushed out by Martha's busy lifestyle. Things are getting done, yes, but they push out the knowledge of the master. Our schedules are full, but the hallowed place around the feet of Jesus is empty. Because we have consumed everything. We've taken it all in. Read the opening delight of the person who is blessed in Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. The mere saturation of scripture is the transformation of the human spirit. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying. But if there are no corners left, then there is no room for something birthed in us or from us. Usually, heritage means I came from something. Something before me, I've got a heritage. But hear me, in the, in the order of God, if you are born again of the Lord and the Spirit, the Holy Ghost is the earnest of your inheritance. And your heritage does not come from the people before you, but it comes from what can be birthed in you. Ruth would never be mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ because of where she came from. She was mentioned because of what she produced because Boaz did not consume everything. Ah. Our church budgets for the five-fold ministry. Did you know that? If you come to business meeting once a year, you'd find out. So let's just have a little mock business meeting. Everything's in order. Be calm and move on. I don't know, some kind of British thing there, I'm not sure. We give to the five-fold ministry. We give offerings to evangelists and to teachers who hold the office of the evangelist and the teacher. Even if they do not minister into this house, rarely have I ever gone to a conference and not brought a couple of love offerings with me to give to evangelists that have never come to new life. Because I believe it will be a shame for us to consume all the monies of tithes and offerings just for this house. Because I believe that out of corner, out of the corners comes power and authority. Our nation may very well be led by someone produced by what I do not consume. One of my fellow pastors said that someone made a snide remark to him when he was talking about something. And the man grinned and said to his pastor, I'd like to give to a missionary, but I gave it to Starbucks this morning. 
I'd like, we'd like to give to the building fund, but we have nothing left after vacation. We'd like to feed the poor, but instead we fed Amazon. I hope you can hear what I'm saying today. We're not only responsible for what we do with what we have. We are responsible for what we leave untouched. I'm so counterculture. I can feel the flesh rise up in this house. The carnal Christian has a foothold in every denomination of every church. And we are not exempt from it. And baptism does not solve the problem because we think of ourselves as Americans first. Which simply means that our days are devoured and our bodies are exhausted. Jesus said it like this. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The world is passing away, the Bible says, with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I'm preaching about leaving something behind. I'm preaching about not consuming every one of your days. I'm preaching about having enough strength so that when you walk into the house of God, your body is not exhausted. I'm telling you not to consume everything you have on all the mental capabilities of the world, but leave some margins and some rooms for the great God to speak into your life. I hope you can hear what I'm saying because I know I'm not being really received. If you don't leave corners, God has no room to birth something through you. I like to do it, Pastor, but I just don't have time. Really? You have time for whatever you want to have time for. I found out people have money for whatever they want to spend their money on. Yes. But we're so consumed because we're Americans and we think we got to have everything. We, got, we have no downtime. We have no personal time. We have no family time. I want to know, when was the last time you got your children together and sat at a table and said, let's read a chapter in the Bible? What about the home? Oh, it's off limits. That's our personal castles and our garage doors are like moats. So glad I'm not getting paid by the sermon. <laughs> I might get a coupon to first walk after this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, I'm not commissioned by you though. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to every man in this house. Men. What time did you leave for God to talk to you? You want me to talk to you? Are you waiting on Sunday to hear from God? Can he not speak on Tuesday morning or Thursday evening? I'd like to come to Bible study, Pastor, but you've got a lot of things to do. Yeah, well, I know you're a consumer. I'm not talking about the sinner who doesn't know the Lord, has no heart for the scripture. I'm talking about the people who feel the presence of the Lord, who are called by the name of Jesus. Corners that are consumed leave no time for God, ladies and gentlemen. Corners that are consumed leave no time for private personal worship, no prayer time in a home, no time for church attendance, no time to serve anywhere in the house, no time to listen to a Bible study or even to give one. When was the last time you gave a Bible study? When was the last time you sat down at your table and said, Lord, I need you. I'm going to spend the next five minutes just praying. What if we just gave 10% of our time to God? The 10% of what we spend on television and media and, and internet and surfing and all the stuff. Men, grown men are addicted to video games like never before. They come home from work and they sit in front of blank. They sit in front of flat screens and watch and play video games all day long. 
I've come to despise the Super Bowl. <laughs> but the Super Bowl has nothing on the internet. So entertain us now. We want to be entertained. I'm going to tell you, corners produce kings. Corners, the things unconsumed, produce David's. You've never seen a heritage like David's heritage. Because when you produce something out of what you didn't consume, it'll tie you directly to the will of the Father. Ah. How are we doing? How's everybody over here? I'm just going to preach this because I know the Lord wants me to say it, but I know this is not the American way. I know it's not the American way. I know it's not the way because we got to have something going, something on, radio's on, television's on, something going on. I want to tell you, when does God have time to speak to our lives? When does he have time? When do you stop and meditate on the things of the most high God? Just pause for a second and close your eyes with me right now. Close your eyes. Jesus, speak to your people, Lord. Talk to us. You're challenging this church right here, right now. You're challenging the people right now to reorganize their priorities. Help me think about something that's good. Help me meditate on something that's pure. Ah. Somebody said in Jesus' name, you know what's happening to us? We're being entertained in our homes by things we would not participate in our own lives. We're taking pleasure in sinful things that we would frown on in the church. Purity is nowhere in our thought process, our minds. That's why whenever a marriage is in trouble, somebody gets on to try to find an old flame. Mm-hmm. Because we are so consumed with what the world's definition is of love that we think that when times are bad, we're just going to transfer our attention to someone else. Hear me, all the husbands and wives, your vow is more important than your feelings. I got to preach to somebody here today. Your vow that you made to that man is more important than your feelings. Ah. I'll tell you why we resist it here in this, in, this, in this country. We resist it because we are enamored with getting the most out of life. We want to consume everything. We want everything to be good so we compare ourselves to people who don't exist. <laughs> you think that Hollywood has it together? They are wrecked with all kinds of infidelity and drug habits. The only thing that you have is the Lord and your vow. No. You got to get back to the Lord. He said, I'm holy. I want you to be holy like I'm holy. And if you consume everything, we're just going to eat it all up. We're just going to take all of our money. We're going to consume all of that. And we leave nothing for God. And then people actually come to God and have the audacity to say, I wish I could give my tithe, but I have nothing left. I can't afford you, God. Not, not going to afford my smartphone. Oh, no. 
I can afford Dairy Queen. I, got, I can afford stuff from Stuff Mart. <laughs> yeah. I can afford the mall, but I can't afford you, God. I got to look good. I got to feel good. Because I'm concerned about myself. Oh, I'm preaching today. I feel the Holy Spirit. See, in that corner that you consumed comes everything that you're going to need later on. But because we've taken it all now, we can't think of what we're leaving. We can't think of what we're missing. So we're getting our Bibles out. And we're opening up this bedtime Bible storybook. And I say, okay, kids, let's read. It condenses all of the stories. Let's read a little bit of this scripture. And that 10 minutes, as we read it aloud, it doesn't seem like much, but it orders our day. Yes. Because through the course of the day, you're going to hear about all the news and all the things. You're going to hear politics. See, I'm concerned with the church today because the church is consumed with politics. We're not consumed with the lost. We know more about who's running in political elections than we ever did know about the Lord and the lost. There are 63,485 people lost in this city right now. We got to get consumed with the Father's business. Mm-hmm. Let's see, it's 11.20. I think I probably have about five more minutes to bore you. If this is bad, I've got a lot of good sermons Get on the podcast. You'll like them. I'm just waiting this out because this is a corner I'm not going to consume. I'm purposely waiting this out because there's grapes here that I don't want to pick up every grape. I got to leave something. I got to leave something. I got to leave time. I got to leave some time on the table for the things of the Lord. It can't always be from morning to morning. We cannot burn the midnight oil. Your candle can't be lit on both ends. And you really expect to make it. Because we're walking in exhausted and tired. This is the world of preachers. The world of preachers ask questions that probably shouldn't be asked. They want to say, for whatever reason, how many people attend your church? And so what they say, instead of how many people are in attendance, they say, how many are you running? It's kind of a weird question. You know, if you're looking at it from the outside, it's kind of, how many, how many are you running? Well, I don't know. Well, like running with the bulls, you know, what I got. running in, running off, I don't know. I ran off a lot last year. <laughs> how many are you running? I don't know. Very few are running, actually couple walkers <laughs> it's an odd question but the question comes from I don't know maybe maybe it's an innocent inquiry or maybe it's something to substantiate value who knows but I get this question now wherever I go how many are you running for the heart 
And I said, well, what number would you like? Would you like the roster? Would you like the attenders? Would you like the tithers? Would you like, because we're going down in number. Would you like Bible study group? Would you like who shows up for prayer meeting? Or who shows up for work day? Nine. Revival. Uh huh. I'll tell you what the Lord would like for us to do. He'd like for us to take some time out in our day and give it to Him every day. He'd like for us to take time out in our life and not get so busy with so many things that we struggle when we walk into the house and we're dragging into this house. Let me just tell you one thing you're not allowed to say to me. When I say to you, it's good to see you, glad you're here. How are you doing? You cannot reply, well, at least I'm here. If that's your reply, we're going to prepare blue ribbons with gold ink on them. At least you're here. Thank you for walking into the most beautiful environment. Thank you. It's our privilege to walk into the Holy of Holies and experience the great God, omniscient, omnipresent, immutable, wise Savior, the only wise King, our God and Savior. It was, you mean you're here? That's the statement? No, it's got to be more than I'm here. I'll tell you where that comes from. It comes from an exhausted spirit and a weary body because we've given ourselves wholly over to everything in this world but to the Lord. I never say to my wife when she says, how are you? I'm here. I never say that to Tammy. Mostly out of fear, but I never say it to her. Because I'm thinking in my mind, she might tell me, well, you could be somewhere else. Maybe you should go back to the office and come back. But we're going to say that to God who saved us, who died for us, who kept us, who brought us out of the miry clay, who put our feet on a rock to say, who gave us the Holy Ghost at healing, who said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there ye may, ye may be also. I say to you, leave the corner of your life. Don't consume everything. You have got to find for the God of heaven and earth. Oh God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that we would change our spirits and our priorities. I pray right now, God, that you allow us to see something beautiful can be birthed and what's unleft, what's left, what's untouched. Oh God. Oh God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Come stand now, if you will. Oh, Jesus, I pray. I'm praying for all of us today. I'm not praying just for you. I'm praying for all of us. Let us, Lord, as a people, I pray right now. Let us rearrange our thoughts, Lord. Our lives are racing ahead of us. They're spinning out of control. Our spirits are conflicted. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Uh, I've got to know you, Lord. I want to know you in the depth of your spirit. Uh, 
Here, Pastor, today, the obedient person is going to leave room so that the Lord can speak to you. Be obedient to the Lord. Be holy. Be holy. Guilt comes from consuming everything for yourself and leaving nothing for the Lord. How about a missionary today? I think a missionary needs what you paid this last month for specialty coffees. Did you leave any room for a missionary? Somebody's in some other country. They're trying to eke out a a church. I can only think of Mitch Sayers who's standing on the street corner because he has no building. He's standing on the street corner of Germany trying to spread a gospel to a wealthy people in Germany right now. They're, They're a wealthy nation, but Mitch Sayers is one of our missionaries, and that's how he has to build his church. He sings songs about Jesus with his guitar on a street corner. Sometimes people stop and he invites them back to his apartment. It's very expensive for him to live in that apartment. Some of these apartments that these missionaries have to live in cost more than the wealthiest of our homes here in Terre Haute. Did we leave anything for the missionary? Or did we just consume it all? Have we... Do we keep running out of money at the end of the month? What about your time? Did you leave any time just to come to the church when there wasn't a prayer meeting called? What about, what about in the morning? Is it news, 24-hour news channels? Is that eating us up now? It's like a saga. And the Lord wants us to read his word and read it out loud. I need somebody that would just do this today with me and commit to keeping a corner untouched I need somebody in this house and I want you to step out of your pew and I want you to make your way and stand at this altar and I just want you to say Lord I'm committing today I'm not going to glean all the corners in my life time, effort, energy, prayer passion, money, servanthood, commitment. We used to sing, I surrender all, all to Jesus. But the words have faded from our memory. So I'm praying today for people that will keep the corner. There's a king in there. A blessing is going to come out. It's going to, you're going to get connected from the very place that you did not consume. There's a David hiding in that corner. From David's going to come Jesus, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords.